Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. We have two very special guests on the Hoop Talk Podcast today. Just a continuation of our discussion from the G League Ignite team on Brooks's podcast, the HMO Podcast. So introducing first, please welcome from the HMO Podcast, Brooks Warren. Yes, sir. What's up, guys? Thank you for having me. And then our other guest today, please welcome from the Impact, Ian Evans. Everybody, uh, happy to be back. Can we get into these uh, G League talks about time? So Jalen was not there for the discussion on the G League Ignite team. So I'm going to throw it to Jalen. He's got some questions he wants to ask us. So Jalen, take it away. Yeah, fellas. So I, I listened to the, the podcast that you guys had. Shout out to Brooks, bro. G League is very underrated. And the G League is getting a lot more notoriety this season. I think with the fact that everybody's longing for basketball and we just looking for places to get it, the G League has probably stood out like a sore thumb in ways that it hasn't in past seasons. So based on you guys' conversation, I kind of came up with a couple of questions to kind of further you know, go down that rabbit hole and kind of talk a little bit more about what the G League has become, where it's come from. I mean, it used to be the D League once upon a time. It was like a surrogate setup where it seemed like you just threw the bad NBA players. You didn't want to give a contract. Now it seems like a legitimate, you know, developmental program. The G League Ignite team was a pseudo success. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, later on. But like, let's start off like real simple, right? All of us love college basketball. March Madness is about to kick off like crazy. Selection Sunday is this weekend. When you look at the future of college basketball and the way things look right now, you know, they're moving towards that whole thing with the clause for, you know, players getting paid for their likenesses, but it's still one of those things that's relatively controversial. The G League has become a real developmental program, as I mentioned beforehand. Do you think that the G League will ever have a chance to usurp college basketball as the next best route for young players to go before entering the NBA? Or do you think like the tradition of college basketball, the nostalgia of college basketball will over, will always overweigh or outweigh whatever the G league is able to do moving forward, no matter how much money they able to throw at kids. Uh, Ryan, we can just start with you, bro. So I think if we're talking about how they're the possibility of them usurping the NCAA, there's a chance. I think that the one thing that I mentioned on Brooks's podcast is that I feel like there are always going to be four star, five star recruits wanting to go to blue blood basketball programs like Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and Michigan state. But there's also going to be four star and five star recruits wanting to play for the G League. And I think that the G League Ignite team was so successful because it gave players a new another option to want to play basketball without going to play for a team like Duke, North Carolina, Kansas or Michigan State. So I think that there's a chance, but the NCAA is an organization that makes millions of dollars every single year. So. I feel like there's a chance that they can usurp the NCAA, but it's highly unlikely. So, Brooks, we saw a G League. We saw G League games on ESPNU like pretty much almost every other day for the past couple of weeks. You know, we obviously had the um, G League playoff tournament in just the other day. And 
I kind of have my my gripes with the way things went this season. I know that it was, you know, COVID written, so we didn't get to see nearly as many games. But I think with more games under the belt for the G League, especially from what we saw this year, that they have a legitimate shot to kind of stand out. Do you think that, okay, maybe being able to usurp college basketball is kind of rough. But do you at least think that in year one of like the G League Ignite team, that it at least looks like a better alternative to the routes that like an RJ Hampton and LaMelo Ball went through with the NBL or going overseas to one, one of these Chinese leagues or something like that? Has the G League at least made itself the second best option behind college in terms of being able to get some of these younger recruits? Because I think that that's still debatable as well. I would say it's, it's um, I would say, yeah, I, I do think the G League has made itself a better option than, you know, playing in Australia, playing in China, simply because of visibility, right? You get, you, you get to watch these guys play on, on like ESPN, you, like, like you mentioned, ESPN too. If you have um, ESPN plus, you could have watched them play all of their games. So, you know, for five bucks a month, you can watch those guys play. You're not going to be able to, you know, you're not going to want to watch them play at like, two or three o'clock in the morning, you know, whatever the, the time difference is between here and, and Australia is. So I think this simply, simply the fact that, um, you know, you can see them play all the time and you can watch their highlights, whatever it may be. I think that's what really in, will help the G League um, going further or going forward. So, I mean, when you look at that, Ian, let's kind of like piggyback off that, right? So like, this is one of those things specifically with the G League Ignite program. I know that like, it's nothing like watching a blue blood school, right? But I know I, I heard you guys on the podcast talk about how like the UNCs, the Dukes, the Kansases of the world this year were just booty butt cheeks this season with the way they performed. Considering that was the circumstances in a down year for the blue bloods, did you feel like it was actually a little bit more exciting to watch the G League Ignite team considering they had like some actual, you know, competition, not only against like relatively, you know, I guess, well-known NBA talent. There was a lot of, you know, former first-round picks across the board, very interesting, you know, veteran players and stuff like that. What, what were your, like, overall takeaways from the Ignite team, especially when you look at the fact that their other route could have been some of these Blue Blood teams that didn't play as well? Well, yeah, honestly, I would say it was honestly more exciting, you know, watching the NBA G League compared to a lot of these Blue Blood schools that honestly just didn't pan out, and they should have, honestly, for a lot of reasons. Um, I say it's because, you know, we, we if you're, you know, a big high school basketball guy, you, you've known that Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd and Dacian Nix and Kaminga, we like we all have known the caliber of these guys and what they can do on the court. Obviously, you know, there's a theoretical of, man, what, what would have happened if they did go to college? But honestly, it, it it's, it's very interesting because um, <laughs> there were there were times when the NCAA would, you know, try and. I want to say market, you know, the Duke UNC games or the Michigan State Michigan games or whatever, and uh, like aligned with a really good matchup. Like I remember they had, uh, it was like Baylor and Oklahoma State in one part of the slate. And then after was Duke UNC. I'm like, okay, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch Baylor, OK State. I don't care about the other game. I'm going to watch, I mean, and obviously, like we said before, G, G League has been on ESPNU. It's been on ESPN2 at one point. I will literally switch over after that game and watch G League because I am not trying to watch Duke UNC. So <laughs> simple as that. 
when you but when you look at uh, kind of like just evaluating and analyzing you know the uh, the ignite team honestly it worked out very well and honestly if you haven't watched you know the ignite team play you honestly don't know what the four guys I just mentioned can can bring to an NBA roster. We know what guys like uh, Isaiah Livers of Michigan or Dwayne Washington of Ohio State or Kate Cunningham of OK State. But once you see these guys from the Ignite team play against these guys like Jalen Suggs in the NBA, you'll understand why they might have taken that route. Yeah, I think that's really interesting when you look at that overall. And we're going to kind of just swing it back um, over to Ryan when we talk about the G League Ignite team. So one of the interesting things that Ryan made a point about on the HMO podcast when you guys talking about this was the idea of having more than one Ignite team, maybe not necessarily having like a G League Ignite part two. Like they would obviously like have another name. It would be his own separate entity. And he said that his reasoning for it was more so out of the fact that there would be potentially more recruits that might want to go this route. And of course, you know, maybe not throwing all of them on the same team is the the best look per se. But what I had brought up to him as a thought process for, you know, having another team was actually more so the idea of having multiple G League Ignite style teams, because then we get to see these prospects against each other the way we see them in college. So for example, the, the scenario I gave to him was the idea of maybe seeing Dacian Nix and Kuminga on one Ignite team versus a team that would have Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd on the other one, for example. That way it would be a, a lot less of a burden on four guys who are all trying to make a viable case to be a first round pick in the NBA draft, all competing against each other, you know, from a statistical standpoint, while also competing with one another <laughs> to try to have a good output in the G League circuit. So where do you guys stand on the idea of having multiple like G League Ignite teams, like in terms of like the program being ran with multiple prospects across the board? Do you think the way they ran things this season was ideal and they should keep it this way? Is there anything that you would make adjustments? Ryan, I'll start with you just out of the fact that you were the one who initially mentioned having more than one of these these kind of teams. Yeah. So I think with the success of the original Ignite team, I feel like there, ha there has to be uh, some way to capitalize on that. I think with more high school recruits, not wanting to play for teams like Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, and Michigan state, you get the opportunity to try to recruit them to the G league. Now I think this is beneficial because one, we get a chance to see Kai Soto play because I think the, the absence of Kai Soto on the G league team I think that would have been something that I would have loved to see, considering that considering that Kai Soto did not play last year. I think it would be a great opportunity to see what he can do in the G League. Um, as, as in terms of the other team in the other G League team, I think that there's a chance that you you pick up a lot of these guys who are not signed yet, who are not signed, like uh, Chet Holmgren, um, Ebony Bates. I'd say you know Ty Ty Washington, who just decommitted from. Creighton is another guy that I would look at. Um, but you you have to look at some of these uh, higher rated recruits and see and and give them the possibility of wanting to play for the G League instead of wanting to play for a college team like Duke, North Carolina, Michigan, Michigan State. I think if you give them that opportunity, I feel like it's going to be beneficial. And I feel like the Ignite team really gave that opportunity to so many high school basketball players that this is the this is another way that you can get to the league 
without having to go overseas, without having to go and play for a blue blood program. So Brooks, with that being kind of the case though, my biggest thing is always going to be when we're talking about draft prospects, the interesting thing about playing for the G league ignite team is you're the only team in the entire G league circuit with essentially nothing to lose. Right. So every other team is playing for every other team has players playing for contracts, playing for call-ups, playing for two ways, whatever the circumstances are. And this team, their lead guys are guys who are essentially just, I mean, yes, they're playing to get in the league, but they're doing nothing more than necessarily showcasing their abilities it's not going to be the difference between whether or not they get drafted at least i don't think so i haven't pulled anything away from the g league and night team that thinks that that makes me believe that anybody is going to go undrafted because of how they performed in um the g league and night team so with that being the case right do you think that it was beneficial that they all played on the same squad though or do you think that, like I said beforehand, do you think that spreading these guys out, even if you put them on pre-existing G League teams, do you think that them being spread out and separated would have given us a little bit better of an idea of what these guys would have been or would be or can be as prospects? So, um, I mean, for me, and it's just like what you said, you know, these guys were able to go through this whole process together. They were able to go through the journey together. And there's something to be said about being able to do that with peers that's your own age, that people are, you know, they we all have the same dream as, as a G League and night team, that's to go to the league. You know, if you spread that out to other teams, you know, those guys are typically, they're probably going to be a lot hungrier than you are. They're going to be a lot better than you are too. So then it's, it's just a whole different level of politics plus, you know, anger because a G League and night kid, he's going to be making a, a whole lot more money than just a regular G League. Um, guy so you gotta you have to consider that you have to consider the fact that you know when you're hanging out and you're and you're developing and you're doing all these things with people your own age it helps that process go along a little bit better and you know you can complain man coach coach b Shaw, man he does he doesn't mess with me you know he doesn't think i can do this that, and the third i can really do that you know your teammate that's just like the same age he can probably tell you you know bro take patience it takes patience to get to this level of where everybody else is at, you know, where Jared Jack is at. So I would say um, maybe not right now, maybe like a few years down the line when things are a whole lot more solid as far as what the G League and Night program can do. But right now, nah, I wouldn't want to see multiple teams, you know, for every uh, for every uh, Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green, there's going to be Deshaun Nix and Isaiah Todd and Kai Soto who weren't able to play, who struggled, who struggle with like the physicality of the game, pace of the game, you know, maybe it would have been better for those guys to go off to college and actually develop under a college system because for how much we talk crap on them, they still do their job. Coach K still does his job. Calipari still does his job. Tommy still does his job pretty well. Yeah, and so I, I think that's exactly where I want to piggyback off when we go to Ian, because I think one of the things that comes to mind, Ian, you're a former Hooper. I, I think it's a little bit easier to kind of touch on this from like a, you know, a straightforward standpoint as a guy who's played a part of a roster, had to kind of work his way through this, that, and the third. When you look at these circumstances, you have to compare, because, you know, one of the biggest things that comes in coaching, especially as a younger guy or basketball in general, is coaching when you're a younger dude. And my thought process on it is 
I feel like it it might it might seem like a duh yeah on the surface obviously being a part of a G League team and being part of an NCAA powerhouse are two different things obviously you're learning an NBA system in the G League area versus in the NCAA you're focused on a college system oriented on winning games G League 19 was focused on displaying talents if you're a guy who's got this kind of option, right? You're one of those guys that has these two ways and you've seen what the G League Ignite did this season, but you also know that, for example, I'm sure all of us have paid, especially, you know, with uh, Ryan and, and Brooks in terms of, you know, being Maryland fans, paid a lot of attention to the Big Ten, one of the better better conferences in the league and the, the entire NCAA. If you're a guy who has these kind of options and you look at the level that the G League provides, but you also look at the level that the that the NCAA provides, and then you factor in coaching and all these other things. Where would you personally prioritize yourself, like in order of like, would you go the G League route or would you go to the NCAA? Money aside, because I obviously feel like that's kind of the needle mover. But if we're talking about strictly from a developmental standpoint, based on what you saw so far this year, what do you feel like you would have done? Um, first of all, honestly, that's a really good question. Um, for me, um, I would actually go to, uh, NCAA and I say it's because, um, we know what coaches can do. Like we, we, we've said it before. We know what a coach K, what a coach Calipari, what a Tony Bennett, you know, yada, I can name off list after list after list, but you know, I, I say this because if you, like we talked about it, Dacia Nick struggled a little bit in G League. He could he have done better, yes. But if he stayed at UCLA, you never know. They could have been better than they are right now. UCLA is a top 50 three point percent shooting team. Could you imagine if he got the shooting coaches there to help him out and all that other stuff? Dacian Nix's role on this team wasn't as big as Jalen Green's or even an Isaiah Todd's when you really look at the minutes, how they played their roles. I'm not going G League now because I don't know what my role is on that roster and I don't know how if they're going to prioritize me as some of these other guys that have been having, I guess, a little bit better recognition. If I'm like, for example, I think Isaiah Todd did, made a good decision leaving, but could you imagine how great Michigan would be with Isaiah Todd right now on that team? You see what I'm saying? So granted, he played well with G League Ignite to be there. But for me personally, like if I'm not getting the same recognition in the G League Ignite, you know, program as these other guys, like I said, Jalen Green, even Kaminga, I might be like, maybe I could, you know, take a year or two, understand a college system, which is more compact and somewhat controlled, right? And then, I guess, not foster, um, kind of improve my skills, whether it be three-point shooting, whether it be playmaking. And in that regard, maybe that might be the best move. Because I'll I'll give a perfect example. Evan Mobley of USC came in as a freshman. Some people knew him, but, like, when he – Went into he had the same option. He could have gone G League at night. He went to USC. Why? Because he knew what his role was going to be when he was getting there. He knew how many minutes he was going to have, and he knew the personnel that was going to the personnel that was going to be around there to help him. That's why it worked out well for USC, and that's why they're probably going to be a I want to say a five or six seed in March Madness. See what I'm saying here? Mm-hmm. And I think you made it easier to kind of segue into this, Ryan. I talked to you about this a little bit, you know, off camera because. One of my biggest things is, you know, Ian touched on it very closely that Kuminga and Jalen Green, it was like 
top five picks kind of regardless, right? You'd have to kind of play yourself out of the pick, not necessarily play yourself into it versus some of these other guys. But Dacian Nix, Isaiah Todd, they're the two guys that stand out to me the most as guys that made this decision. And it may have not necessarily hurt them, right? But I think it might not have looked like the best call. I brought up to you off camera the idea that Dacian Nix would have been the secondary point guard or the backcourt mate next to Tiger Campbell for UCLA. If we talk about Michigan, we're talking about a number one overall seed team going into the NCAA tournament, best in the Big Ten, would have been playing against some of the best college basketball talent out there, considering the Big Ten pretty much from top to bottom, or at least through the first eight, were significantly talented across the board. And he would have been playing against Hunter Dickinson. Sorry, Brooks, I know that we should have had him on Maryland, but that's like a whole separate podcast conversation but hunter yeah. dickinson he could have had a guy like franz wagner who's supposed to be an nc in the um an nba product as well nba prospect as well he would have been on this team under the tutelage of jawan howard with these guys around them he would have been again next to a guy like hunter dickinson down low ryan when you look at the circumstances of what this season did for those two I know we can't go reach into their pockets to take that 500,000 out, but if they could, if, if you could counsel them and before this took place, if you could rewind and counsel them, do you think that you would still suggest or still encourage them to have decommitted from the schools that they did in favor of this opportunity? Because I feel like outside of the money, I think that they might have actually made a draft stock mistake by choosing to go to the G League, despite what the opportunity sounded like. I have to say that it's better that Deshaun Nix and Isaiah Todd went to their respective schools, mainly for the mainly for the points that Ian made. I think that their role would have been significantly di- different than what we saw um, with the G League. I think there's a lot of potential for Isaiah Todd. I think Ian mentioned that he could be the next Chris Bosh. Um, where he has very similar comparisons to Chris Bosch, um, especially with the way he shoots the three, um, 36% from three in the G League. So there's a lot of potential with his three-point shot. I think it also would have benefited him considering that he would be on, on already what was one of the greatest teams right now in Michigan, considering that you know they have freshman of the year candidate or freshman of the year um, award winner in Hunter Dickinson. They have a great NBA prospect in Franz Wagner, he could just be another guy on a loaded Michigan team that could have honestly, could have honestly won all of their games this year if Isaiah Todd had stayed. I think on the other hand with Deshaun Nix, I think this is the player that I look at and say going to the G League really hurt his draft stock because, I mean, if you think about it, he was coming off the bench for the majority of the games in the G League Ignite team. I mean, it, it's also interesting considering that 37-year-old Jared Jack is starting over these younger guys, but I feel like nonetheless, going to UCLA would have been the smarter option. I think that when we think about, you know, the sort of impact that Deshaun Nix would have had at UCLA, UCLA could have won the Pac-12, and I think Deshaun Nix could have been a player of the year candidate. Um, I think it would have been tough considering that, you know, how talented UCLA or uh, not UCLA, it would have been talented to see um, considering that Oregon State, great player in Chris Duarte, another 
uh, Pac-12 of the uh, Pac-12 Player of the Year candidate. I mean, that Oregon team was great this year. USC with Evan Mobley. I feel like that you know the conference itself is very tough, but I think that the impact and the role for Deshaun Nix would have been much bigger and much better than what he was um, given at the G League in 19. So like Brooks, I think the biggest thing that you could take away from this when we talk about these two guys in particular is that with 2020 hindsight, it's easy for us to make the call that maybe it wasn't a good idea. I think one of the first things that obviously like stands out is what Ryan pointed out about the fact that Dacia Nix was playing behind Jared Jack, who's 37 years old. Like we can't just you know, glaze past that. We're talking about a guy who used to be, you know, a Warriors veteran, now is down there, you know, helping coach up this team. Is supposed to be more of a mentor figure, not biting up all the minutes. So with that being the case, again, I'll kind of phrase the question maybe a little bit differently, but kind of ask it the same, is if you could counsel these guys, I think, I think maybe the way I'll rephrase it is, out of these two guys in particular, who do you feel like, based on what you saw, probably needed college more than the G League out of these two because I think both of them have a case for choosing the G League but I think both of them also have a case for maybe going the college route and sticking with whatever team they chose so which one do you feel like needed college more based on what we saw I feel like the easy answer might be Dejan Knicks but Isaiah Todd decommitted from arguably one of the best teams in college basketball right now yeah, I, well, the thing about Isaiah Todd is the fact that he would have been playing with with Wagner, and then it's, it's possible he probably would have been battling for starter minutes with with Hunter as well. You know, that team is super stacked in the front line, so there's no telling who ends up losing between those two. You know what I mean? I'm going to be biased because I've seen Hunter Dickinson play all four years, all four years at Dematha, so I know what he's like. I know what he's capable of. I'm, I'm probably going to go for him as a starter. Isaiah Todd, I got to watch him play twice when they were at, at Hoop Fest. I didn't come away that impressed. I mean, no, I, I know the guy, he he exploded for a great second half performance. Um, I don't, can't remember against, I think it was like Summerize Christian. I was like, I, I can see, but I don't know. You know what I mean? And it, again, it's, it's only two games. So it's a small sample size. I can't go off of everything that I saw just off of those two games. But again, I wasn't too impressed. I didn't think the guy was... Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say like one and done potential, but you know, I could have seen them being pretty good in college. Um I think that I think I would have to go with the easy answer though with this and Knicks, just because simply because we know that the guy came in into training camp or that little G D bubble that they had, like out of shape. You know, he comes in with a kind of a busted a little bit of a busted jumper. You know, the guy is gonna go downhill, he's gonna bust you and he's gonna like, wear you down eventually. You know, that's a great skill set to have, but you got to have other parts of your game that you can um, improve upon. And I feel like maybe UCLA could have helped with that a little bit, maybe pull back the reins a little bit and, you know, let him figure out what his game is. We know he's a bruiser, but what else is there to unlock? Yeah, I think that's really interesting overall, just out of the fact that the biggest calling card for Dejan Nix was his ability to facilitate. We didn't really get to see it. And the funny part about that is he had the perfect surrounding or supporting cast to just be a crazy facilitator, lobs yeah, to Jalen Green, five, six five, like two ten, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, of course, that's coming in a little bit overweight in the circumstances. So it was, it was weird. I made a joke with uh, Ryan that he he was rocking the Pillsbury Doughboy Kyle Lowry fit when he came in, and that's the funny thing about it because I think had he came in in a better circumstance, especially from a shape standpoint, 
I think that would have made us feel a little bit better about him as a prospect, but that was a little bit of a turnoff. And of course, Ryan had, a, had reminded me that Kyle Lowry fell in the draft and um, in the draft, in the draft class that he came in, I think he was the second round pick from what Ryan had stated. So that's one of those things that I think is going to kind of hurt him. But like, it's funny when you look at the fact that his calling car was facilitating and you have an athletic guy like Jalen Green, you could throw lobs to who made that very apparent that he could work around the basket. A guy like Jonathan Kaminga, who was able to make himself very available in the perimeter, not a great three-point shooter, but nonetheless was a guy that was open to taking them and was doing a lot of stuff off the dribble that I, I didn't expect personally um, from him coming in there that he slowly developed and a bunch of the other guys that he kind of was able to work with. Uh, Ian, I kind of see the wheels turning a little bit, so you can kind of dissect it wherever you want to go with this, but where do you stand on everything that's been said so far and anything else that you kind of want to, you know, allude to in terms of this conversation with Knicks and and Todd and their circumstances? So I agree and disagree on some points. Um, I agree. I think we all can agree that Dacia Knicks could have easily, you know, gone to UCLA and, you know, fine-tuned his game before, you know, trying to go to the league. I'm actually – I think Isaiah Todd actually made a good decision. And I say this because I I specifically said roles. We didn't know what his role was going to be with G, uh, with you know, Ignite. We actually don't know what his role is going to be with Michigan. We can obviously, you know, do the all whole hypothetical thing, but there is a name nobody has mentioned with Michigan and it has actually surprised me because he is the second leading leader in points and plays the most minutes out of every starter. And that's Isaiah Livers. He plays the four, Hunter Dickinson plays the five. You're not starting over Hunter Dickinson because clearly he's 7-1. He has a high advantage over every guy. You're not starting over the senior Isaiah Livers, Isaiah Todd. I'm sorry. That's just simply how it goes, especially for a guy like Beeline who loves his senior senior forwards and guards. You're not starting over him. So are you Isaiah Todd and get more minutes in G League, or do you kind of sit out some years, or not even sit out years, play less minutes, play behind Livers, right, and do you see your stock draft go very stagnant or do you go to, because right now we're seeing Isaiah Todd, what, like a late first, early second, what happens? And we know this as hoop fans name one guy besides Obi Toppin, who has been over 20, 21, 22 years old, that has been highly scouted for, Oh, we need to get him in the top 15. Nobody. It's usually guys that are young, I'm talking under 20 or under. Isaiah Todd, I think, is about to turn, I want to say, either 19 or 20 next year. So you have to think about that. Age might play a factor into it. Are you playing that year out after Isaiah Livers? I mean, how do we don't know how he's going to look after Isaiah Livers leaves. That's another thing. How can he adjust to a college system after playing in a, honestly, rather prolific, I want to say, high school system? I think the G League's... Uh, fit his um, style of play better than Michigan ever would. And I say this because uh, Michigan is a team that allows the, the ball to come to you. And I wrote this down, Isaiah Todd, that's one thing he exactly needs to work on. He needs to let the game come to him. We know he can shoot. We know he's actually really relatively good at the free throw line shooting at 82%. We, he averaged, I want to say like 12 and five, roughly around that, right? All I'm saying is if he goes to Michigan, let's let's say if he goes to Michigan, plays behind livers next year, let's just say Michigan kind of falls by the wayside because they all, they do have the uh, 
the grab point guard and Smith, who will eventually leave. We don't – I haven't checked the list for the guards that are coming into Michigan. We don't know that yet. Or we might know that. I don't know. What if they fall by the wayside? Not necessarily like how UK and Duke have, but let's just say like not a top 25 school. Let's just say they're on the cusp. What does that do to his stock? So I think for him, it's understanding which role he wanted the most. Do I want to, do I want to wait or do I want to keep going? And the last thing I'll say is you don't chase your dreams by not making risks at all. I like how he took the risk. We'll see if it pays off, but all I'm saying is it, it makes sense based on the rosters for both teams. Yeah, I, I think it's well, really interesting. I, no, go ahead, Brooks. You go I, ahead. I was going to say that um, – Ian, you're right. Ian or Isaiah is only 19 years old. He turns 20 in October. Hunter Dickinson's already 20 years old. He's a 20 year old freshman. Think about that. Like, and I, I think I saw something uh, maybe like a month or two ago saying that the average age of a draftee is like 20.5 years old. You know, kind of a silly age, but regardless, yeah, they're usually pretty young guys. You don't you don't get drafted when you're a 21 year old junior, 22 year old senior you know, a, a grad transfer at 22 years old. Yeah, I mean, I think the most interesting about it all is just the fact that, Ian, one of the things that you didn't even mention, but I think it's really important is based on what you said was the idea of what would happen this year in comparison to next year, right? The G League, going into the G League Ignite program almost still forces him to have to come out in this draft class, which is already a polarizing draft class as it is because once you hit six everybody's scratching their head. It could be Book Knight. It could be Wagner. It could be any of the, you know, leftover guys from Gonzaga. I think Corey Kispert is probably the guy, but like there's a handful of dudes that like come to mind as you go down the list once you hit six and it could be as, you know, controversial as it gets. So with this season being the way it's been, if there was any chance to luck up into the bottom of the first round or, you know, somewhere in the middle of the second round, it would be a year like this. And I don't think it's too crazy to think with that kind of logic when we see um, your Celtics get get Peyton Pritchard at the bottom of the first round. Somebody who was projected to be a second round pick. Me and Ryan thought he should have won the first round. Celtics did what they were supposed to do. Emmanuel quickly picked up was picked up by the New York Knicks. He's panned out to the point that he's third in the rookie of the year voting right now throughout this season. He's a guy who was the, I would say, arguably the third guard on that Kentucky team that year behind Ashton Haggis and Tyrese Maxey. That's one of those circumstances where they kind of took a flyer mile on a guy who was a little different and it's panned out so far. Isaiah Todd falls into that circumstance as well, where his skill set, Isaiah Todd, I don't know if you guys remember this guy. But Billy Preston out of Oak Hill that went to Kansas before he had his little circumstance take place with the NCAA, the car that was bought that eventually got crashed and it all led to this thing where now he ended up playing. He had to go overseas to play for the Illawarra, Illawarra Hawks. He actually played with LaMelo Ball and low key. Isaiah Todd has very similar skill sets to bro. He has very similar measurables to dude. And I think that, Isaiah Todd is in a much better circumstance than anything Billy Preston had had going for him coming off of that NCAA allegation. I think if there was any chance for him to be able to make a run at it, like you said, bet on yourself. I think interestingly enough, with everything that happened, this year might have been the best year to do that. 
So I think that's really interesting that you took that approach with him just because Isaiah Todd was a serious wild card for me. Like when he pulled out of Michigan, I was genuinely surprised. That was one of those where I genuinely took that and was shocked by the choice. But okay, so we're talking about draft stock. So we might as well kind of go through these guys and we've kind of like stepped away from Jalen Green and Kuminga for a little bit. So I kind of want to get back to those guys. So we're going to kind of go through these four guys really briefly and kind of discuss where we would like to see these guys go in the NBA draft based on where they're slotted, where they're mocked to, things like that, based on where the season has gone so far. So Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga, top five prospects in this year's draft. In the top five, the teams right now are the Minnesota Timberwolves, the Detroit Pistons, the Houston Rockets, the Orlando Magic, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. So we start with Jalen Green. Uh, Ryan, we'll start with you, bro. Where would you like to see Jalen Green go out of those five teams? Because I think that fit is going to be really interesting this year with the circumstances that we've seen, as well as the fact that this class is so loaded, but has so many question marks. Can you repeat the five classes or the uh, five teams again? So it's going to be Minnesota's at number one, Detroit follows, then Houston, Orlando, and then Cleveland. I'm surprised Oklahoma State's not in that conversation. Um, been too good. <laughs> Just yeah. been too good. I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and say we go ahead and say Minnesota. I know that they have um, Anthony Edwards right now, but I think if we we think long term, I don't think D'Angelo Russell may be there very long, honestly, because I I think that this team is going to go full on rebuild. I don't know what the status is with D'Angelo Russell's contract. I know he signed a max extension. Um, Carl Anthony Towns may be, may be there forever, um, honestly, but I think if we're, if we're thinking long-term in terms of a rebuild, I think Carl Anthony Towns gets traded to a contender. I think D'Angelo Russell gets traded to a contender. I think those two players are too good right now to be on Minnesota. I think you blow up the team, much like I, I said with New Orleans, a couple episodes ago, I think you blow up the team and you build around Anthony Edwards. I think, you know, he's your franchise guy going forward. I think, you know, you pair him up with a guy like Jalen Green, athletic, explosive guard. This is going to be a dangerous one-two combination that I feel like Minnesota really needs to cash in. So, Brooks, I find that one kind of interesting with Jalen Green because he's not a true one. Yeah. Um, that part that stood out to me a lot in the G League. He's a guy who relies a lot on, on his athleticism. The comp that I got, and this is my favorite player, so maybe I've read into it a little bit, but I've also seen draft comparisons online that have slated Jalen Green as a Zach Levine type player. So with Zach with a Zach Levine caliber player, or similarly, you know, st- or stylistically playing player. When we look at those teams, again, I'll list them out. Minnesota, Detroit, the Rockets. Orlando is where he's slated to, according to Tankathon. And then there's Cleveland. Minnesota has the number one overall pick as of right now, based on Tankathon. That would mean that they would be passing on Cade Cunningham, who's more of a legit point guard at the, you know, 6'8", 6'9", stance. When you look across these teams, do you think there's a team that might need Jalen Jalen Green a little bit more do you think that Minnesota might actually be a sneaky fit for him how do you feel about 
Jalen Green in terms of these five teams and where you think he might best fit in? So it would have to be either Detroit or it had to be Houston. Houston, we know that their their two guard positions kind of like in flux because we don't know if John if uh, Vic is going to stay around. We don't know if he wants to stay around either. So I feel like he could go in there. He could you know learn from John Wall. He can learn from Demarcus Cousins. Um, he's going to have a young coach there or a relatively young coach there and Stephen Silas, if he ends up staying around that, uh, you know, could help him learn the game and, and become a better player. Uh, Detroit, Detroit, I mean, maybe I shouldn't have said Detroit because Detroit's a hellhole, bro. <laughs> like, who wants to play there? You know what I mean? Like, they, they let go of Blake Griffin. They let go of Derrick Rose. What is there to really play for? You know what I mean? And the franchise, like, like I said, is a hellhole. It's in flux. Nothing really positive is going on over there. You can look at Houston. Again, they got John Wall. They got Boogie. Um, they got uh, Christian Wood over there. I think that's a veteran enough team for him to go there, learn to trade, you know, really learn how to get a bucket in a more efficient way than just, you know, going to the rim. You know, we saw his last game. The dude was explosive just getting three-pointers off and dunks and all that. So I feel like Houston would be a better position for him than, um, than Minnesota when you – like you said, he's not a one, not a playmaker like that. Anthony Edwards are basically going to be uh, trading for shots. It's going to be like your turn, my turn. So, yeah, I think playing with a facilitator like John Ball would help him a whole lot. So, Ian, when you look at these five teams, right, Minnesota doesn't seem very ready to set up a rebuild. They seem like they're very in flux. That was kind of proven when they decided to fire their coach at like the most inopportune time ever. We could talk about that on a different podcast or off camera, but that was pretty interesting and indicative of what the franchise has been over the last couple of seasons, if not probably a decade or so. Detroit, they're doing something interesting with the way that they decided to draft. Um, I think that, getting Sadiq Bay was huge. And I think that that's going to be one of those things that they look back on and we can actually look at Detroit and say, okay, you made, you made yourselves a good play right there because out of a lot of the other guys that went before him, um, Aaron Neesmith, unfortunately, I would say is one of those guys who went before him that I would say maybe the skill set didn't transfer from Vanderbilt to the league as well as we would have hoped he was supposed to just be a three and D wing shooter and he hasn't been shooting the ball as great it's gotten a little bit better over the last couple of games I can't admit that much as it is but being a part of that large wing class that uh, the Celtics have it got kind of tight up there we haven't really been able to see him produce as much. Then you move down to like a team like Orlando. They're another team that's in flux and hasn't really made any decisions on where they're going to move forward and Cleveland. Never really sure about Cleveland, right? You kind of got to see a couple of draft classes put together before you kind of see whatever their vision is. So, I mean, with that being the case, it seems like Houston is the most geared for a rebuild out of any of these top five teams, despite being a team that was literally just in the playoffs last year. Out of like Kuminga and Jalen Green, who do you think, best fits what they're trying to do moving forward now me and ryan have talked a lot about kevin porter jr who got called up from the g league at the two guard position he's apparently their next james harden heir apparent at that two guard position of course brooks also mentioned the whole thing with the idea of vic not being on the team anymore john wall could still potentially be a trade piece they're trying to shop 
a guy in PJ Tucker right now. So with what you see there do, what what you already see them doing, see the wheels turning and stuff already. Out of Jalen Green and Kuminga, who do you think best fits what they're trying to do moving forward? For the for the Rockets, mm-hmm. um, you know it's. Houston is a very interesting sports town. Don't nobody want to play for the Texans. And honestly, when you're looking at it, a lot of people honestly don't want to play for Houston right now. Boogie got released. P.J. Tucker wants out. Eric Gordon got injured. Christian Wood is injured. Daniel Wobb is injured. Who want to play for Houston right now, man? Who want to come? Come on, man. Who want to play for an injured? I really, I really do feel bad for John Wall again. How do you go from? I, I, I know I'm diverting away from the question right now, but my man John nah, Wall had to be freed, and he got into solitary confinement. That. <laughs> He can't get freed. No way whatsoever. And I feel so bad for John Wall on that topic, free Bradley Bill. Anyway, um, no, but with that being said, I think uh, Kuminga actually fits the Rockets um, mold better. Only say this because um, when you're looking at a guy like Jalen Green, I think he would honestly benefit very well with playing with a guy like Jeremy Grant because he can't do it all by himself. On top of that, I feel like people forgot that Killian Hayes Granted, injured for the year, I think he's going to come back better, especially after getting mentored by Derrick Rose for a little bit of time before he got shipped out to the Knicks. But going back to the uh, Rockets, I think Kaminga works well. Um, For those of you who don't know, actually, I actually spoke with a friend of mine who knows a GM uh, for the Indiana Pacers. And I talked to him about uh, two uh, two guys in particular, which were Kaminga and Jalen Green. And everyone said that Jalen Green is on their draft board. Uh, there are some that don't have Kamingo on the draft board, but uh, he, they said because as a 6A guy, he did have some, compared to some other guys in the G League, he did have some inefficiency shooting the ball, mm-hmm. but that's the only reason why. So in regards to that, I think it works better with the Rockets because I mean, when you look at them, they love to shoot the ball. I think that would be a team that really could find a way to fine tune his shooting. But also there's another team, granted, they're not in the top five right now. There's another team that would really like him to go to and that is the Sacramento Kings and I say this because you play with a De'Aaron Fox you play with a Tyrese Halliburton you play with potentially Marvin Bagley wherever he might go Rashawn Holmes will help in the center as well that's a team that looks promising especially with a lot of young guys you're talking about De'Aaron Fox who can drive and kick to anybody who he wants he wants that's a perfect way for Kaminga to get his shooting up we already know how athletic he is so but in terms of Pistons Rockets I think if it came down to those two, obviously, coming as a top five pick, I'd say Rockets just for now. Uh, but don't nobody want to play in Houston at all whatsoever. Hey, Brooks, I got to spin the block to you real quick. My boy kind of reacted a little tough to that Sacramento Kings take. What's up with that? Because, sac- like, <laughs> it's Sacramento, bro. It's Houston. They got Tyrese Halliburton moving on. It's they got Houston. him doing his good thing. I mean, good point, first of all. Excellent point, Ian. First of all, Houston is Houston is already a bit questionable as it is, although they look the most prepared to be would, able to make a rebuild. Would you, be, would you rather be in Houston, good weather, or in Sacramento, who perpetually sucks? And like you, I'd you, rather you, be in Sacktown happy than in Houston just sad. Say it again. I'd rather be in Sacktown happy than in Houston sad. I mean, you said you sad, you said no matter where you go, bro. Not I think my take away, my personal takeaway from it when it comes to Sacramento is I think you're a better team instantly after you're not under Luke Walton. That's my only that's my that's my own personal take. 
that has a track record to it. Julius True. Randle just became a first-time All-Star. D'Angelo Russell True. became a first-time All-Star post Luke Walton. Same thing with Brandon Ingram. Lonzo Ball is a guy who is taking over Instagram with graphics of how he's made more three-pointers than Trey Young this year. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just a lot of really interesting stuff taking place after you get from underneath Luke Walton. I think if he were to end up on a team like Sacramento with a proper coaching staff, next season with the pieces they already have Harrison Barnes is still really interesting if he doesn't get moved because he's a guy who might be an interesting trade chip before the trade and they got Buddy Hield I think Buddy Hield is a guy that they might actually move I think for for pieces I think that'll be something that might come out Hmm? they got 13 days to move him too that's the thing. Yeah, and I think, yeah. I mean, I think it's still an option that, that might be out there, but I mean, Tyrese Halliburton has been really good so far this year, this year when he's been on the floor, the Aaron Fox is, I would say relatively playing up to the rookie scale extension that he got so far. Um, I think he was a snub for the all-star game. I don't think it was like a significant snub, but I think he was somewhere in the running in that Western conference. Mm-hmm. I think they've got some stuff going on with them, especially because Rashawn Holmes has played really good down low. The fact that Marvin Bagley, the third is not good, but he's like, He's serviceable for what kind of minutes they're getting from him so far. There's a lot of different things that are kind of interesting with Sacramento. So I think that that's a conversation worth having when we get closer to the draft. I think it'll be really interesting to kind of sit down and like look at these guys fit wise once the draft order is kind of set. So, Ryan, let's kind of move on to the other two odd men in the group. Right. Because Kuminga is one of those guys that's pretty interesting because the polarizing thing about him is. His shooting is his swing skill. That's his swing skill. That's the difference between being second overall in this draft. The way I view him, I view him as the second best prospect on the board behind uh, Kay Cunningham personally. But that's because I think his shooting, his shooting ability is something that's a swing skill. If he can get it under wraps, I think this guy, this guy can be really elite as a two-way forward at the next level. So I think that's really interesting. Somebody who doesn't have nearly the same kind of margin for error is a guy like Dacian Nix, right? So Dacian Nix is a guy who slotted a lot lower towards the 20s. So that's when you start getting into that area where like Tankathon has him slotted 24th to the Milwaukee Bucks. Some of the teams that are also in that same mix are Denver, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Nets, 76ers, Suns. But I think this is an area where the table is like completely open. OKC is at 19. The Knicks are at 20. San Antonio's at 21. Our good old Rockets are at 22. Like there's a lot of space to work with. So with the the floor kind of open, what is a team that you think you would like to see Dacian Knicks on? What team would you like to see Dacian Knicks on based on his skill set? I think the interesting choice would be Milwaukee. Um, simply because I feel like all of them could – I feel like they could honestly use more guard help than what they already have, considering that Drew Holiday is on an expiring contract. I'm not really sure what the contract status of his um, deal will be, especially if he does end up getting re-signed. Um, Sacramento seems like an interesting option too, especially as a late first-round pick. I think, you know, I feel like because he went to the Ignite team, this goes back to you know the, de- the debate that we had whether or not he should have stayed at UCLA or went to the G League Ignite team. This all falls on the fact that he went to the G League Ignite team instead of UCLA, and I think it really hurt his draft stock. I feel like teams view him as a guy who 
is the leader of the second unit. He's a guy who can give some solid production coming off the bench, maybe give you uh, 20 to 25 minutes a game. Um, I just think that it's going to be really tough for him to get starter minutes on every team in the NBA. I think on a rebuilding team, probably Houston would be another example. I think on a rebuilding team, he may get more minutes than a team like the Lakers, where I don't think he's going to get, he's, I don't think he's going to play a lot of minutes at all. So I feel like as a late first round pick, it really varies on what team he goes to. Um, Milwaukee seems like the first choice for me though. So Brooks, I have a very interesting question that I feel like is maybe controversial. Depends on how you look at it, but Dacian Knicks, did not really give me anything from the G League team this year, personally, right? And as interesting as this draft class is, it's still really deep, still really deep across the board because guys like Josh Christopher for Arizona State, that's a guy who hasn't been talked about a lot. BJ Boston has slid down boards quietly, He's a guy who underachieved so far this season, but I think in a proper system with a chance to develop, kind of put some more uh, meat on his bones in terms of developing physically, I think that's a guy who could be really interesting. Davion Mitchell as a secondary guard for Baylor has been scary good, and there's been discussions as to whether or not he and Jared Butler are one of the better backcourts in the last 10 or so years. Cameron Thomas for LSU. Like, we can go down the board from a guard standpoint of how deep this draft is low-key. And so my question to you is, putting your GM hat on, right, based on what you saw, do you feel as though Dacian Nix is draftable? Because I think that it's really debatable based on the fact that, again, Ryan made an excellent point that we have to kind of ride off on is you got secondary minutes behind Jared Jack in the G League. Yeah, I think that's an important point to ride off. I don't I don't think it tells the whole story, but I think it tells enough to make make you be, you know, have cause to pause. So if you had to be a GM with a choice, where do you stand on Dacian Nix as a draftable prospect with all these other guys that you could possibly take a look at? Uh, man, if I had a pick in the 20s, early seconds, late second, I would, I would want him to go to a program that, one, is going to help him tone down and, two, help him learn how to shoot. And the two, program, and the two teams, I should say, that make me think that that could happen would be like a Miami or San Antonio, you know what I mean? Two teams that San Antonio, we know what Greg Popovich can do. You know what I mean? He helps guys learn how to shoot. Or his coaching staff learns, helps guys learn how to shoot. They learn how to play the point guard position. Look at Tony Parker. You look at Patty Mills. Look at um, uh, DeJounte Murray. Uh, you, you look at Derek White, right? Those guys, they've all become, like, better players after, you know, after a handful of years in that system. I feel like that could help. Miami, we know what Miami's about. We know they're about that that legendary conditioning test that even Jimmy Butler failed the first time he was he was a part of, right? If Deshaun Nix is serious about becoming a pro and being as the best player he could possibly be, Miami might be the best uh, destination. It all, also depends on you know how are you adjust to that Miami lifestyle. 
But yeah, I feel I feel like those two those two stops could um really help him out. As far as the question of if he's draftable, I feel like he's more second round right now than he is first round, simply because of like what I said, right? And what you said too, you know, the swing the swing the the swing thing is shooting. You got you gotta look at his conditioning and you gotta look at the fact that even the skill that he's most known for and is and is facilitating wasn't showing off like it could have been. You know, he has some bright spots, but it wasn't anything that's that you're like, wow, like Deshaun Nix is really good at point guard. So he needs to be somewhere where he can really develop those skills again, get his confidence back up, and really learn how to play the point guard position at a professional level. And I think it's really interesting that you touched on the fit, because that's what I was talking about earlier. I think with the fact that this class is so polarizing, fit is going to be really important. And so you were talking about him going anywhere between the Heat and San Antonio. The Heat don't have a pick in this draft because, man, they've had to sell the farm so many times to make money work for other guys that they're going to be out of the draft for a little while. Um, like I said earlier, Dacian Nix is slotted to Milwaukee. I do think that's kind of interesting. That's Milwaukee at 24. But if you're talking about him being a second round pick that would have to fall to San Antonio, that's putting a guy who was a part of this G League Ignite program as low as 51. That would be San Antonio's only chance in the second round to snag him up. So I think it just goes to tell you or goes to show you how interesting this class is when you have to look at what their skill set is and how transferable it is. Um, and we're going to kind of move on from Dacian a little bit because I think Isaiah Todd is the one that's like extremely interesting. Um, the Chris Bosch comparison thing is something that I kind of need a little bit further elaboration on. Uh, I might not have paid close enough attention to either Todd or Chris Bosch to the point that maybe I'm just missing the comparison itself. But first, can you elaborate a little bit on the Chris Bosch comparison? And then second off, um, I'm not going to necessarily put him in a draft pool because Isaiah Todd is anywhere between the late 20s and like the bottom of the second round. Like Isaiah Todd is arguably one of the most polarizing players we're going to talk about this entire draft class out of the fact that he could go anywhere between 20 and undrafted. So first of all, like I said, first off, can you kind of elaborate on this Chris Bosch comparison? And then second of all, can you pick out a team in the league that you think could or should take a flyer out on Isaiah Todd to maximize these skill sets that you're going to end up highlighting? Well, I mean, I say he plays like Chris Bosch in a sense, I mean, because we, when we've seen Chris Bosch play with the Raptors and, and with the heat, what was he known for his versatility, how he can play against big men, but he can still somewhat shoot how he could, you know, be a rebounder, but still be a defensive presence. I think, uh, he can still do that in a sense. Uh, granted, in terms of, you know, shooting, Chris Bosch is clearly a better shooter, like in, in regards to even coming out of, you know, college and all of that. I still think he's a better shooter. That's something he needs to a little improve on in terms of consistency-wise. But versatility-wise, the way he can shoot the mid-range, the way he can shoot the three, I mean, like I said, he shot 82% um, from the free throw line. I mean, you can't foul him. Same thing with Chris Bosch. There's a lot of big men that you can't foul because he's going to knock down his shots at the free throw line. Todd is one of them. And Chris Bosch was also another one of them when he played for the Heat and, and the Raptors. I'm not saying fully like a fully comparison. I mean, versatility wise, they have the similar skill set. And in terms of where you would want to see him at in terms of being drafted or even, even if he goes undrafted, like a, the team that you think should take a flyer mile on him 
that you believe could maximize these skill sets that you've listed out? Because uh, I know that one's it's, tricky. It's it's kind of tough because I mean, look, he's 6'10, 210 pounds. He's about to mm-hmm. turn 20 as of next year, as I think of as of October, right? Mm-hmm. Meaning he has a lot to work with. Um like I said, he needs to be on a team that can utilize his versatility skill set as a big man, but also, you know, doesn't get overshadowed by other big men. So I'm talking like teams like the Bucks or the Nuggets are out of the picture because there's a lot of guys on that team that would have better roles and more minutes played than Todd and it just wouldn't work out. So honestly, for, for a guy like Isaiah Todd, I really think he would great, uh, go very well with a team like the Pacers. And I say this because they already have a versatile big man and Sabonis, and he already gets a lot of attention. We've already seen he, he was an all-star this year. He won the skills competition. I mean, he's a versatile big man for a reason. I think it clears up. Granted, I wouldn't say he would start right away. I'd say he'd probably come off the bench, maybe to, to start again. He has to develop some of his skills. Again, let the game come to him, as I've said throughout the podcast. But in terms of versatility, I think the Pacers need it. And I say this because, you know, there is a lot. First off, shout out to Karis LeVert. He's coming back tonight. That's Mm -hmm. huge. Anyway, but when you're looking at big man versatility, Sabonis is really that only guy. I mean, Miles Turner, we know him as a shot blocker, but Mm -hmm. in terms of the three, he's been a little inconsistent from time to time. I think Isaiah Todd can come in there, use his athleticism, basically, you know, not necessarily ball handling skills, but some playmaking skills in there to get out to guys like Justin Holiday, to Karis LeVert, to TJ McConnell, who's honestly been a great shooter and incredible. My man's been picking pockets first and foremost. Mm-hmm. I mean, that man's been going crazy. I think he fits that mold well. And for a team that is usually in the bottom half in terms of offensive pace, he can help pick that up. And that's what exactly what the Pacers need. I wouldn't say it's the best fit, but I would like the fit. I think it's just interesting out of the fact that that's the one area I feel like they're a little light on, right? Like, I think exactly. from a talent standpoint, you talk about Aaron Holiday and Malcolm Brogdon at the guard spots. You talk about Karis LeVert and TJ Warren slept on. We saw bubble TJ a little bit, and it kind of was a flash in the pan when we saw them go up against Miami. But we know TJ, he's been averaging between 17 to 20 points per game his entire career. That's even coming off the bench for Phoenix. So we know he's no joke offensively. That's their forward positions. And then you look at their big man spot, it is kind of interesting because once you get past Turner and Sabonis, you do kind of wonder what the on-off numbers would look like. Or you do kind of wonder what – like what they could do overall if they had a versatile big man either next to one of those guys or coming off the bench for both of those guys. So I think that is a really interesting thing. Um, Brooks, we're going to like run it back. Ryan, I'll end out with you with this one when we talk about Isaiah Todd. But Brooks, like what do you, like what do you think about his fit with the Pacers? Do you think there's another team that comes to mind? I know I don't want to talk about it a lot, but Washington center position is 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 lacking, bro. And, you know, yeah. we keep continuously getting hit by the injury bug at that spot. Davis Bertans is slowly starting to become his, his former self that we saw last year at the power forward spot. So I think Washington is interesting. Like where, like, where do you stand on Isaiah Todd in terms of like a team you'd like to see him on? I think uh, the Pacers would be a good fit for exactly what Ian was saying, you know. Be able to play alongside versatile guys like um like Demontes, Simonas, uh, Miles Turner is still there. He, he could probably push Miles Turner for some minutes. Um, Washington, I still have, I'm still a big Thomas Bryant fan. I am too. I am too. It's just his injury history. So that's a big question for him, and he's going into a contract year too. So he's got to come in and, and and be on fire like he was the first five six games that he was able to play. Um, 
I mean, as far as his fit and being able to play, being able to play around some good veteran presences, I mean, you could you could slot in like someone like the Lakers, you could slot in maybe like the Charlotte, who they're always gonna need some big man help too. So, you know, why not take a flyer on that, flyer out on them? I mean, if Isaiah Todd goes to the Lakers, you get to play alongside one of the best versatile um, centers in in Marcus uh, you know. I think that'd be a great lesson for him. Charlotte, he'd be able to play right away, you know, and that that could be great for him too and helping him build his confidence, helping him build his, his versatility, his skill set. I think that'd be – those three would, would probably be pretty decent, but I think if I had to pick out of the three of them, it'd probably be the Pacers. I'd go with uh, the Ian said. Yeah, I think the Pacers are really interesting. Ryan, I think we can go amongst those couple of teams. And I'm going to throw out one more that I think is kind of interesting as a flyer mile if you were to go into the second round. New Orleans has three picks in the second round, 35, 36, and 40 right now. Do you think that, like, when you look at the circumstances, right, so let's kind of look at what New Orleans is. They just re-upped on Brandon Ingram. So that's the small forward spot, pretty much locked up. They made an interesting trade for Steven Adams, which I still think is kind of up on the air, up in the air and based on how that's going to fit. I think that's still been a really debatable thing. And obviously Zion Williamson is like the guy for this team, but he's the power forward. You're trying to look for a guy who's versatile enough to play next to him. Now, Ian touched on a lot of like the, the point forward as stuff that a guy like Isaiah Todd could bring um to a team with the fact that he can handle the rock a little bit the fact that we do know he is an available shooter something Steven Adams is not he's not nearly as aggressive aggressive as a rebounder which you can debate on whether or not that helps or hurts when we're talking about the fact that Zion Williamson is down low um Pacers New Orleans the Wizards the Bulls I mean there's a lot of different interesting teams in the second round or even um in undrafted free agency that may be able to take a look at Isaiah Todd if he falls that far where would you like to see a guy like Isaiah Todd based on his skill set you know I'm kind of glad nobody mentioned this team because I want to see him on the Utah Jazz interesting I, I think that if you pair him up with other great shooters Donovan Mitchell Mike Conley first time all-star I think Joe Ingles coming off the bench Bojan Bogdanovich I've talked about the effect that he's had on this team, especially when he's healthy, considering that they really could have used him for that seven-game series against Denver. I think if you pair him up with Rudy Gobert down low, I think it's 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 almost like two opposite players. You know, Rudy Gobert, a constant defensive player of the year candidate. And then you have Isaiah Todd, who's who's like the the the, the closest comparison right now to Chris Bosch. I think that when we think about, you know, how Utah could always use more shooting. I mean, this is a guy who is a shot maker and, and he's another guy who we pair with Rui Gobert and he's on the defensive side. He's, he's could be another one of the defensive anchors for this Utah jazz team. I think another team that could be interesting. I don't see him going there, but I think could be interesting is Toronto. Um, I think the one thing that Toronto is really lacking is a guy who can shoot threes um, consistently um, and efficiently. Like, Isaiah Todd and I feel like you know they they have that with Aaron Baines but he's not the same Aaron Baines that um, we saw in Phoenix Um, his season is not really translating well to um, Toronto so I think Utah seems like the more likely team considering it really fits fits his skill set I think Toronto wouldn't be a bad option either 
And I think that's interesting. Utah is at 46 in this draft class. I think it would be kind of interesting to see if he even falls that far, uh, if that's something they would be willing to do. Um, I do think that the big man spot is the only place they would quote unquote have holes at. This is a team that has been like supremely elite offensively and defensively this year. So it's hard to kind of poke at what they're missing, but it would be kind of interesting to see a versatile four on their team. Uh, but guys, to close up the podcast, uh, Ian, I'm gonna start with you and we're gonna spend the block out in with Ryan. We've seen a lot of top level guys come out of the G League, right? A ton of top level guys as of late. Christian Wood is the most notable one in recent memory, but Seth Curry is another one. And Danny Green, three-time champion, he's another one. Spencer Dinwiddie, Pascal Siakam, most improved player of the year a couple of seasons ago. The fact that the that the G League is becoming a real NBA pipeline is leading a lot more guys to have really solid careers in the NBA on the main rosters, the fact that the, that we're seeing a lot of these younger guys develop, even seeing, I guess, somewhat older guys burst onto the scene for, for a casual fan or even for a fanatic um, in this basketball space, would you personally suggest watching G league basketball more after what you've seen this season and in recent seasons. And personally, do you feel like you're going to be watching the G League a little bit more based on a lot of the things that we've seen come out of the G League over the last couple of years? Uh, hmm. You know, I think obviously I will. I mean, there's a lot of guys uh, that have come from, you know, like you've, like you've mentioned, have come from the G League, played very well, and have gone into – uh, you know, the NBA. I mean, another uh, name you didn't mention, um, but who's honestly been doing really well, uh, Fred Van Vliet. My goodness, yeah. what a what a career Fred Van Vliet has gone. I mean, now he's an NBA champion. I got yada, you know that. I mean, um, I'm looking at some, honestly, I wrote them down the other day because I've been watching them. They Some of them played for the 905 Raptors, the Blue Coats, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, there's a guy I'm looking forward to. Hopefully he can get called up. I think he's playing with Phillies, I think Blue Coats. His name is Paul Reed. He literally... Uh, averages the, the most points in the G League. He's honestly exciting to, to watch. He averaged a double-double. Um, he still shoots 58% from the field. He's a great three-point shooter. I mean, he could honestly play on an NBA roster. But this is what I'm talking about. You know, there's guys who, who like, I mean, obviously, don't, first off, <laughs> don't nobody want to be playing minutes behind Jared Jack. I know, I, I remember we talked about it earlier. I'm putting respect, I'm not, I'm not putting, I'm not disrespecting him, all, all respect. What I will say oh, is, especially man. if you're a young guy, bro, Brooks, think about this. You 19, you playing behind a 37 year old, bro. How you feel? How We're you feel right now? You know? I'm not gonna cap, but I mean, <laughs> this is a great veteran point guard. I mean, true. You can learn a you can learn a whole lot from Jared Jack than you can from like anybody true. else. You know what I mean? That is true. I give you that. All I'm saying is, it's taking a hit on my confidence and my decision to go to G League Ignite. But very true, very true. I do expect that you can learn from him. But going back to it, I'm definitely watching G League more because I honestly think it was a big success, especially with the Ignite team. Honestly, you're, and that not only does you know, watching the G League Ignite team bring a lot out of the players that we've been seeing, but also their opposition, especially you're playing against like. Could you, I mean, it's kind of like in honestly any type of competition. G League is supposed to, I mean, G League Ignite is supposed to be these guys that are, you know, the next big thing or whatever, or highly touted, highly athletic, you know, very talented young guys. And honestly, at some points, we're like, oh man, you know, they could, you know, be, you know, be the best team in the G League. Okay, well, now that puts a target on their back. And a lot of guys like Paul Reed, like, oh, Broderick Thomas, 
uh, who came from Truman State undrafted, he's been put showing out now. It puts a target on their back and motivation for other players to like, oh no, I'm better than this guy. I can show you I'm better than this guy. Simple as that. You know what I mean? So when it comes down to it, yeah, I'm watching the G League because it, it makes the competition more competitive. And obviously they're already playing for their lives. They're already playing to, you know, get to that next level. It's going to be way more competitive. And if people keep doing this program and like we've been talking about, if people, you know, if the league have has more Ignite programs, oh, best believe the competition is going to get that much more stiffer and that much more fun to watch. So, yeah, I'll be watching the G League from now on for sure. I mean, I already have been, but like even more intently. So, Brooks, I mean, when we look at the circumstances, bro, being Washington fans, bro, the Capital City go-go weren't that hot, but I know we were still paying pretty close attention to the G League overall. I, I, like, did you feel yourself watching G League basketball a lot more this season? And, like, do you would you suggest, based on what you've seen, that this is something that you would suggest other people who call themselves basketball fans or call themselves basketball fanatics, do you suggest it as some more – you know, basketball content for them to watch and really learn from. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, just last year, man, like I went to a coffee shop right around the corner and they were they were showing G League basketball. They were showing the Capital City Go-Go game. Like I would have never thought that a, a Capital City Go-Go game would be on TV. Mm-hmm. Right. And that just shows that the league is becoming more popular, that people want to see it. You know, people are invested in some of these guys' journeys and their stories and all that. So I feel like it definitely is becoming something that uh, people are going to want to see, you know, and just like what Ian was, was uh, alluding to, like competition breeds more competition, you know, iron sharpens iron, you know, when you see guys, an 18, 19 year old making half a million dollars, that's all that's going to do is piss is one piss you off and two want you to kill them even more. So of course the product is going to get even better. You know what I mean? You go through social media, they got G league TV, now on Instagram, people are going to want to see that people want to are invested in this product now. So it's definitely going to be keep rising up as long as, you know, as long as for one, the Ignite keeps on getting players to come in. And for two, people keep getting inspired. They want to you know to take these guys' heads off. You know, um, I feel like people now more so than ever, we're talking about the G League and what was going on over there. Ratings were going up, you know, and as far as what you're saying, as far as like basketball heads, basketball fans wanting to watch it, I mean, you should want to watch basketball no matter what. If you're a basketball person, like no matter if it's the WNBA, no matter if it's G League, no matter if it's NBA, college basketball, Australia, China, whatever, like if this is your thing, then that's your thing. Like watch it and take it for what it is. Don't think about, oh my God, this is G League. Like why can't they? Why why are they? Why do they keep smoking layups? Why do they keep smoking three pointers? bro, it's just basketball. Like, enjoy for what it is and just watch it. Yeah, Ryan, I mean, you know, this has been our thing since the minute we came up with the Hoop Talk podcast that we were going to dive into all avenues. G League has been one of those things we talked out, talked about maybe ad nauseum in comparison to other uh, podcasts uh, across, you know, the basketball landscape. We talked about them, the WNBA, things like that. I mean, with the fact that we've been able to cover them so closely, I'm not going to ask you, have you been paying attention? Because obviously we've been tapped in, but like, Again, how have you felt about watching the G League this season? I've never watched it as closely as I did this year. And is it something that you would suggest, you know, other basketball heads to really tap into with all the things that have come from it in the last couple of years? I absolutely would suggest it to other people. I mean, Brooks made a good point. You know, basketball is back, basketball, whether it's, you know, 
Golden State and the Lakers or it's Cal Poly and Long Beach State on ESPN3. Like, it's basketball. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, Brooks made a good point, too. Like, at G League TV, that's an Instagram account um, that covers all the G League um, highlights and, like, previous guys who have played in the G League before. Like, that account really has got me, like, in touch, really has made me, like, more in touch with the G League, uh, with the G League itself and the D League before that. Um, I mean, I kind of thought, I, I kind of thought, uh, found it hard to believe that, like, Hassan Whiteside played in the D League at one point. Like, it's, it's, it's players like, you know, Hassan Whiteside, Fred Van Vliet, um, that I was, like, more shocked to learn, like, they played there and, like, they were actually, you know, like, averaging some pretty good numbers down there as well. Um, I absolutely would suggest it to other people because, I mean, like we mentioned earlier, basketball is basketball. Yeah, it's been a really fun season to watch. Well, guys, I mean, in terms of talking about the G League, we're pretty much wrapped up. Uh, Ian Brooks, I'll start with Ian. You got anything you want to close up the podcast on, whether it's about what you look forward to to the rest of the NBA season, considering the second half of the year has officially started. Is there anything related to the G League that you want to find, get your final thoughts on? Floor is yours, my man. <laughs> <laughs> clown <laughs> clown okay. i think i know what's about to happen next <laughs> free brad first and foremost um it's second don't know run want to play with houston because uh we, look do you know how many games in a row they have lost I think 14 like 14, oh, 14. Don't, that's hey, that's, hey. that's sadness that's very that's depression don't no one want to be in houston football or basketball related, but let me get back to football. Um, can my Celtics please stop blowing fourth quarter leads? It's very depressing <laughs> to watch. Um, I heard y'all was breaking stuff in the locker room the other day. I'm not, yeah. this, the floor is mine. The floor is mine. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, you got it. But, you got but, it. but honestly, uh, and one of my things is I honestly want to see what the Hawks will do after firing Lord Pierce. I want to see if they'll either pick it up or stay stagnant. And last thing, can the Lakers pick it up? I think they do. But man, Blake Griffin, Kyrie, James, he's and KD, all to all, all, all be the 37 year old. I'm 36. That's all I'm saying. It's a lot. It's a lot. But we'll know. It's going to be an interesting second half of the season. I can't wait for it. Brooks, like like I said with Ian, it's a lot of NBA basketball left. We're obviously going to have you guys on more than one or two more times before this, you know, before the NBA playoffs hit. Might even have y'all come on after the NBA trade deadline to react to some crazy stuff that might take place, a lot of different moves. But it's the second half of the year. Is there anything that you want to, you know, get off your chest left over in terms of anything related to the G League, moving forward in the NBA season? Like I said, floor is yours, same as Ian had it. So I'll say this, man. Um, number one, fire Scott Brooks. The man needs to go. Big facts. I'm tired of him making the decisions and making, you know, Deciding to play Robin Lopez when he keeps on getting ate up by, by Jones Valanciunas. Like, it's, it's it's ridiculous, bro. I don't know who you replaced him with, but it's time for a change, a uh, top-down change. Um, and uh, Ian, Ian, Ian made a comment on, on Zoom, the Zoom chat just now. I'm not going to – I'm not even going to go into it, but I certainly understand the sentiment. Um, and the Lakers, yeah, the Lakers – Y'all better hope, Lakers fans better hope that Anthony Davis is healthy, that is that this calf injury that he has isn't something similar to, like, what KD had, God forbid. I mean, the guy just signed the contract, and it's great that he signed that contract because otherwise, whew, you would have a lot more people questioning what's going on with them if he didn't get that contract. 
So yeah, best best health for them. I'm looking forward to honestly what this what these Nets teams do because you got a monsters team over there. How does Blake Griffin fit? I mean, he's gonna be the fourth fourth guy on, on the um uh you know pecking order. Um and I'll I'll have to keep pay attention to to the Knicks and the Kings, man, because y'all make some good points about them both. Emmanuel Cookley, SEC player of the year. And he was debatably the third best guard on that team behind Ashton Gibbs and Tyrese Maxey. That's pretty interesting to me. Um, and Tyrese Maxey is actually having a pretty good start to his career, with, with not with the Knicks, but with the 76ers. And uh, Joel Embiid for MVP right now. So, Ryan, I mean, I, you definitely, before you close this out, you definitely got to get your thoughts on anything. Anything else you want to leave the podcast with before we jump out of here? First of all, I, I said this before, and I'll say it to Ian again. Please trade for trade for uh, JJ Redick, Ian. Please get some bench help, please. Um, I also think the Wizards should fire Scott Brooks, free Bradley Beal. But you know, I I have to I have to say, listen, transitioning from NBA to college, Maryland basketball. Brooks has said it. Jalen has said it. I've been saying it. Please do the right thing in the offseason. You know who's on the hot seat. <laughs> you know what you need to do. You know he hasn't been recruiting for you. No Hunter Dickinson. Hunter Dickinson just became Big Ten freshman of the year. Come on, Maryland. You know what to do. Well, guys, I mean, that's pretty much the, the wrap-up right there. Maryland, get it together. Celtics, get you a J.J. Reddick. Lakers, y'all got some time on your hands before y'all got to get Anthony Davis back. Y'all going to have to steer the ship. It's been solid, bro. The G League was a vibe. I'm sad that this jump was already over, but hey, at least we got something that we know we can look forward to. Hey, Ryan, close us out, bro. First of all, we'd like to thank our guests today, Brooks Warren from the Hear Me Out podcast, Ian Evans from The Impact. And of course, this has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple. You rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.